Doesn't matter what episode it is, lad. Let's just start now. I'm recording. What's happening, people? What's happening? It's episode. We don't know what episode because we haven't been very consistent with this at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an episode. It's somewhere. It's somewhere in the region of fourteen to sixteen. I think. Yeah, I think it might be, mightn't it? It's cool. Somewhere in the region of that. You'll see it on the title anyway. Today we're talking about diet breaks. And now the robbers have got coffee because it's half eight in the evening. Yeah, and we're smart. We're smart. We want to promote a parasympathetic state before bed. As anyone who's watching it can see, I've got me blue light blockers on. Jack doesn't because he doesn't care about his sleep. I've got the lights on. Fucking nah, I've got F looks on my screen for anyone who's using a Mac. Puts a red filter on your screen. It's not as good as the glasses, but it's it's a step in the right direction. It is, it is. Plus, I sleep like a log anyway, so. So we're all good. Right, so, due to popular demand, we decided to do an episode on diet breaks. So, we're going to talk about what is a diet break, why would you ever use one, and then talk about when you would implement one, and what sounds to look out for. So, Jack, what is a diet break? Exactly what it says on the tin. To breaking your diet. <laughs> yes. Simplest way of putting it. Um, it's essentially that. We're just breaking a dieting phase um, in the in the new sense of the word diet. I don't like the word diet because the diet is everything you eat all the time. But in the sense... Yeah, should we wait? Wait until he's... Wait until he's he fucks off. Okay, he's, um, let's go. Yeah, a break in a low-calorie period. Yes. There we go. The, the, the technical term, intermittent energy restriction. Ooh, I like that. It's a lovely phrase, that isn't it? Nice that. Yeah, but it, it's basically just where you're dying for a bit, you have a break, and then you carry on. And so I think a lot of people hear about a diet break and they just think, oh, shut up, just fucking get on with it, you pussy. But there are actual real benefits to it. So there's both physiological benefits and psychological benefits, which I think are both equal in, in waiting. They're both very useful in certain situations. But first, before we start talking about why you would use one, I think it would be worth addressing just the, the negatives and the downfalls of just constant energy restriction. So people have got a bit of an understanding about what we're trying to fix and what we're trying to get away from. So... <clears throat> when you're when you're dieting, you're effect, you're effectively starving yourself, and so you're giving your body information that it's that it's starving, and so it will downregulate how many calories you burn through the day. So it's very clear through the science that when you're dieting for a prolonged period, resting metabolic rate will come down. So that is your BMR and sort of. Do you know what I've noticed as well, Jack? Bit of a side note. A lot of people don't know what BMR is, like fitness professionals. Like yeah. in the last week, so many people have got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like BMR. I've seen it a few times, like, yeah. Just completely miles away from what your BMR is. Yeah. People think that BMR is how much energy you burn at rest, which is your rest and metabolic rate. That's RMR. BMR is how many you need to just literally be alive, so to breathe, for your heart to pump. For you to send nutrients in and out of cells. So 
BMR, that actually comes down. You, <coughs> your resting metabolic rate comes down as well because you stop fidgeting, you stop speaking, you start well, you start speaking a little bit slower. You'll blink a little bit slower, and just move around in general a little bit slower. And you, your neath as well. So neath is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is again things like walking around, like taking the stairs, like little tiny things, like you won't get up and get the remote for the TV. All of those things will start happening because your body thinks it's starving and it wants to conserve as much energy as it can. And at that point, when your body starts making all these changes, you are then burning less calories. So when you're dieting, the calorie deficit that you created initially, maybe on 2000 calories, you were losing weight. And then slowly your body is now burning well less than it was originally. And so you actually need to reduce your your energy intake to continue losing fat at the same rate. So if you're consistently just in a in a constant or a consistent calorie deficit for such a long period, your energy expenditure will come down to the point where you have to keep bringing your calories down. And then it gets stupid because you can be ridiculously low. This is where the whole eating more. I lost I, I, when you see people post on social media. I'm eating way more calories than I ever have, and I've lost weight. This is because you've hit that. When people say they've hit a plateau and the calories haven't changed, it's all of these factors adding together. Um, is the reason why the biggest notable one for me because I twitch loads, probably because I, I get anxiety and I drink loads of caffeine um, but yeah I, like when when the, when the food is low when I'm knackered I'm just a vegetable once mm-hmm. I sit down I'm a vegetable and I don't move whereas now I'm, my feet are twitching I'll be playing with the pen and stuff all them little things it's crazy they all add up it all adds up and then as well forgetting that when you actually do lose weight there's less of your body so your body requires less energy to be alive just because there's less there's less mass, there's less energy that's needed to move you around to, to do all of the normal shit. So that happens. You so you lose you lose muscle mass, you lose bone mass, all of those metabolic um cells that are actually using energy, there's less of them. So that that is an issue. Thermic effect of food as well, which everyone always forgets about when you're dieting, that goes down immediately because you're not. The energy that it takes oh. to digest food. Sorry, go on. And an interesting graph-based statistic. Oof. On like your total calorie expenditure for the day, and your TEP, so your thermobot, your thermic effective food. Should we define that for people? Yeah. So that is the calories you use to digest food. So your body has to actually use calories to digest food. Um, your stomach has got muscles in it that contract and relaxing, trying to break the food up, move it to your digestive system. You're creating enzymes. You're breaking the food down as you're chewing. All of this stuff burns calories. Um, and then depending on what type of food it is, so what macros it is, will also impact how many calories it takes to digest it and take it to take those nutrients to wherever they need to go in the body. Um, where was I going with that? Yeah. So your TEF is about the same as the exercise calories. 
You burn. So if you were to do, I, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers of how long they were exercising, you know, to produce the graph or yeah. how many calories they were consuming or the makeup of the calories, but they're there or thereabouts. Exactly That's the same. So when people are like, oh, I'm going to have to do so many, so many, so many hours of exercise to burn off that Kit Kat, it's like you're just banging your head against the brick wall. Like, yeah. you're not burning anywhere near enough calories through exercise. To exercise is just not the answer for calorie deficits. No. At all. It's, it's like that, that everyone gets that backwards. Um, where were we? You're talking about the... Talking about TEF. Talking about things that make up your calories for the day. And we were talking about why it's bad to not yeah. diet break. So... When so to make it dead dead simple for people, that was quite quite scientific. That way, isn't it? if you're eating, let's say two thousand calories, and every day you're burning two thousand five hundred, over time, if you just consistently diet, that might come down to two thousand. You're burning two thousand, and you're now eating two thousand, so you're at maintenance. You're no longer losing weight. So either you need to start eating less food, or you need to start moving more, and that's when people hit plateaus. But when you get to the point where your food is so low, you can't drive it down anymore and you can't really do any more activity, that's when you're fucked because you'll start to run into micronutrient deficiencies because your food is that low. And also training will be shit because you're overtraining and you can't recover. And then your body composition is going nowhere and your life's just going to be a bit shit in general. So that is when you would stick in a diet break or even in that situation, a reverse diet could be, could be more appropriate. But that's... Yeah. I'd almost say if you get to that point in a diet, it's too late. It's not too late. You can reverse it. Yeah. But you would have took action a lot sooner. Yeah. So a diet, a reverse diet would be implemented then. A diet break is what you would do when you're clever and you don't want to get to that point and you start implementing yeah. them. What's, what's the word? Proactively, months in advance before that happens. So... A diet break. We, I think, have you have you heard of the Matador study, Jack? Yes, Violin talks about it all the time. Yeah, he does. So we've got we've got two to talk about, haven't we? So the Matador study is basically I think it was done in 2018, and it was basically where they took obese people and they separated them into two groups, and they had one group dieted. I think I can't remember the energy restriction that they had I think it was 30% or something it was quite it was quite severe um and they just did that for 16 weeks straight and then the other group dieted to the exact same calorie restriction so whether it was 30% or not whatever it was but it's the same amount of calorie restriction but every two weeks they would take a two-week break where they bring their calories back up to maintenance so they ended up dieting for a total of 30 weeks instead of 16, but they effectively achieved the same calorie restriction over a longer period. And what was seen in the group that did the intermittent calorie restriction, so the group that had the diet breaks every two weeks, they, I can't remember the exact figures, but they, I think it was around about 50% more fat-free, fat 50% more fat mass was lost and loads of fat, free mass so meaning muscle and bone and organs was maintained a lot more and then in the six month follow-up 
they'd capped off a lot more weight than the other group who had just dieted for 16 weeks straight. So it's fucking boss. It works. The science says that it works. That's not the only study, though. That's supported yeah. it. So that's what, that's what the issue was in the fitness industry. And it was like, that yeah. was probably the biggest breakthrough one. But then it's got it's, it's an obese subject, so we can't really be applied to bodybuilders or people who aren't obese, really. And then we were just, we were just talking about this before we came on, weren't we? They've done one in March this year. Bill Campbell and colleagues. <laughs> so they did the same thing pretty much, but instead of a week-long diet break, do you want to explain it, Jack? They basically done it in resistance-trained individuals who... Yeah. Um, I mean, you've just read it, so I'll let you go into it, otherwise I will murder the numbers. But essentially, yeah. they applied the same principle as the study on the obese population or the obese individuals from the first 2018 study to resistance trained individuals and saw pretty similar results. Mm. So same theory. The difference with this one, I'm just going to read it off my monitor there. The difference with this one is it was seven weeks long and it was more of a refeed than like big long diet breaks. So they took one group and energy or restricted their calories by 30, 25% from maintenance across a week. So from Monday to Sunday, every day for seven weeks, calorie restriction of 25%. And then the other group, they energy restricted them of 35% from Monday to Friday and on Saturday and Sunday brought them back up to maintenance. So they effectively give them a two-day diet break every single weekend for the full seven weeks. But obviously through the week, they were under greater calorie restriction. So the calorie intake across the week or the calorie deficit achieved across the week was equal in both. It's just that they had a, a diet break at the end of every single week. And if the, the numbers are mad. So the fat-free mass, so that means muscle and bone and shit and all of the stuff that <laughs> your body needs, in the group that did the refeeds, lost 0.4 kilos. And the control group, so the group that just dieted straight for seven weeks, they lost 1.3 kilos. So almost three times the amount of muscle and bone and organ mass was lost. And the fat mass, where is that? The refeed group lost 2.8 kilos on average. And the control group lost 2.3. So the refeed group actually lost more fat mass <clears throat> and retained well more muscle tissue. And so that's obviously what we want. <laughs> so again. From from a from a if your goal and not many very people, not very many people's is if your goal is to just lose weight, you don't care where that weight comes from, you just want to be a smaller human, then yeah, just diet and it'll be grim and you can get it done in half the time. You mm -hmm. can diet for 16 weeks and your weight will just continually come down as long as you all the factors are in place and you just remain in a deficit for 16 weeks, you will lose weight and that's total weight from your body, muscle, organs, fat, and you will be a smaller human. But for 99% of the people that we work with, I'd say all of the people that we work with, yeah. 
they want to lose fat, but they want muscle underneath when they've finished the process. <laughs> yeah. So it makes it make it the only sensible option is to to do what retains the most amount of muscle tissue through that process. It might be a longer process, but it's going to be easier mentally, and that's probably something we'll come on to in a minute anyway. Mm. But it's going to be easier, f- like on you, f- f- like on physique-wise, you're going to have more tissue. Exactly. If you've got more tissue, you're going to retain your strength for longer. Because that's one thing, like you, your strength will hit a plateau in, in in a in a cut. If you can maintain that strength, if you can continue getting stronger, which is which is like ideal situation, then why wouldn't you? Yeah, this this is what I was about to say. I I prefer the way this study we just mentioned there with the refeeds of a weekend. It's much more applicable to real life people than the other one because no one wants to die for thirty weeks. No. Like, although it's fantastic, but no, like the results are great. Who the fuck's dying for 30 weeks? That's what's that like? Me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me on that last, me on that last one, seven, so, seven and a half months, seven months. Fuck that, like, nah, apart everyone but you, but <laughs> everyone no but this, but this idiot here. No one wants to do that. No one else wants to do that, Jack. I didn't even want to do it, but Rona hit and needs must. Yeah. Um, but this is is much more applicable. I think I don't I'm not against the longer diet breaks, but I think this is is just something that's gonna get the job done a bit quicker. Yeah. And it's almost something you someone can enjoy, like working towards the weekend and having a nice controlled refeed where you get to eat a little bit more food um also what i think is even more applicable to the people we work with and just bodybuilding in general is if you every single weekend can have a big carbohydrate refeed your glycogen stores are never getting depleted to the point where you're flat as fuck you know what i mean unless you're doing a stupid calorie restriction through the week like you're going to start every single week full and training performance is going to go up or it's going to stay elevated for longer as you say you'll probably be able to continue increasing strength continue increasing performance in the gym that's potentially why they see in a greater um a greater maintenance or less of a loss of muscle mass because they were able to train harder and stimulate that muscle to stay if you get smart about when you apply it as well so obviously, when you first read that, you you initially think, well, two days back to back, right? Well, that's Saturday, Sunday. If you're looking into it a bit more, and you're looking into the training side of training side of stuff, and it is a physique based cut, like it's a physique based diet. It doesn't have to be Saturday and Sunday. So mm. if you know whatever your training program is, like legs, legs is always a big. It's always a big session. It needs a lot of fuel. If you've got legs on Tuesdays, if you were to put your diet break in on Monday, Tuesday, that Tuesday session is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Every week. You're going to have Monday, Monday rest day, loads of calories. Tuesday, loads of calories, and you've got legs. You're going to feel that. Whereas if you don't, and you just think, right, Saturday, Sunday, 
you could be doing legs on Wednesday, right in the middle of the week, nowhere near the food. Yeah. And then you're having to wait until Saturday and Sunday to get the calories back in. Yeah. So you can well, you can you, just have to be. Yeah. Weekend of it, you can put them wherever you want. Yeah, you can put them. You can, you can put them if there's a body part you're trying to bring up, like if you're trying to bring up your chest or something, put around the push session, or something yeah. like that. I think it, there's there's so much more flexibility with dieting than people are aware of. I think one thing to note though is it like I don't know whether you mentioned it in the study. Like it needs to be two days in a row. Yeah, that was the... <clears throat> at least two days or more. Yeah. One day you're just being a greedy cunt and you're doing nothing for yourself. <laughs> you're just eating food and achieving no physiological benefit at all. You're just eating loads of food and fucking your, fucking your results up. So if you're going to do it, do two days or more. So that's the that's the science behind the why in terms of what it's doing physically. But why do we put one in mentally? This is this. I think is probably an even arguably more important aspect of it. Yeah. I think dieting, the success that you will see in a diet, is largely psychological. Like if you can be, if you can nail it psychologically and not succumb to the hunger and just be strong mentally, you will always succeed. Whereas a lot of people crumble when they get hungry. Or when they start feeling a bit tired, and this just completely removes that. I'm gonna let you go off on this, Jack, because I you like all this. I shit. think on this one, people who are a robot on a diet, and we we come across this, I think, more than most people because we're in the industry and we see other coaches and we see people who who fitness is what they do. I think if you're a robot and you can just follow a diet for 16, 18, 20 weeks, whatever it is, and you just follow the, 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 the whatever the plan is that your coach gives you or that you set out for yourself, I, I would confidently say that pretty much everyone who can do that without a diet break has got a terrible relationship with food and just hides it really well. <laughs> like a hundred percent. Like, and that's that, that that's that's the, that's my honest opinion on it. I think dieting for such a long period of time mentally, if you if you're a competitive bodybuilder, whether it's professional or not, and you're constantly constantly starving yourself, essentially, you you haven't got a good relationship with food. Mm. Like, and if you have, fair play to you, like massive pat on the back because the mental fortitude you need to to do that. Over and over again, and enough fuck with you. Your mental state around food is is hard. Mm. So that is a massive one for me. That you need it in there to just switch off and enjoy more real, enjoyable food that isn't in the health bracket of food. Like mm. there are times, like if if you are getting really lean, there are things that you just can't eat because the calories just yeah. don't make sense. Like. If you've only got 1,200 calories for the day, you're not going to eat a 450-calorie muffin from Costa. <laughs> you're just not because you're going to be hungry 20 minutes later and it's not going to work. If you've got a diet break on every Saturday and Sunday or every two days a week, you can have that muffin. You can have some chocolate. 
it might not be the most optimal food in terms of performance, but mentally, you're going to be fucking happy. Mm. <laughs> you're going to eat that muffin and enjoy the muffin and not be scared of the muffin, not be scared yeah. of whatever that food is. It's almost like protecting your relationship with food before it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like preempting. Yeah. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing I do with everyone is I I think I'm terrified of the thought of damaging someone's relationship with food. Yeah. And yeah. I'm probably overprotective then when yeah. I sometimes I go too far. Like if someone says, Oh, I wanted biscuits today, but I didn't have them, I'm like, no, go and fucking eat them right now. <laughs> yeah. Put make them work into your calories, but go and eat them just yeah. to make a point. Oh my god, there was a cake in work today, and I'm so glad I didn't eat it. Go and fuck, go and order, go to Costco and buy a cake now. <laughs> I want you to fit cake into your diet at some point this week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a real fear. <laughs> yeah, a genuine fear because I've I've seen it. I've seen yeah. people do it, and I've had clients come to me who've who've had it happen in the past, and it's probably it's probably my biggest fear as a coach because. Yeah. People put that trust that's in you. That's the, only, that's the only fear that I have ever had as a coach. Yeah. The only only real fear ever. That in terms of nutrition. Um, yeah, just like eat whatever you want. Yeah, just make it work. Make it work. Like, don't, be, don't be an idiot and eat a cake and just don't count it. Like eat your cake yeah. and make it work. Because <laughs> that won't work. But that won't work for you, lads. Um, but yeah, so protecting your relationship with food, protecting your relationship with food in any diet and phase, because it's it's really easy to fuck it up. Not like I don't I don't know the numbers for how many people are affected by some form of eating disorder, like a clinical disorder. I can't imagine it is as high as. We think it is because we probably come across it quite more, like more often than most people. But I think everyone at some point in their life will have a poor relationship with food. Mm. Not that it will. Sorry. Not that it will get to the extreme of being a a clinical like condition of of an eating disorder. But I think doing doing this just protects you from developing a bad relationship even in a small way yeah so like that's literally what i was about to say so a bad relationship with food can be anorexia or bulimia but it could also just be binging like if you manage to just grit your teeth and get through a dieting phase and then you finish and then find yourself just nailing everything when you get home after you finish that diet and you just destroying the cupboards every single night and you just can't stop yourself that's a very real thing as well because you've restricted yourself so for so long it's not necessarily an eating disorder per se but it might just it might just be your you've been so restricted of these foods for so long you just now you've you've almost give yourself the green light that you can eat these again you'll just go and nail them and that's when people put weight back on i mean there's some mad statistic bio lane always goes on about whereas i think it's like it's like ninety-seven percent of people who diet, like six months later, of fatter than they were. Not one of the they, they always reference back to that Biggest Loser. Remember that was on the TV yeah. years ago. 
Like yeah, every yeah. single one of them regained that weight and more. Yeah. There isn't one person who's been on The Biggest Loser who's kept the weight off. Yeah, it's just not the way to do it. The way they approached it, though. Um, I was going to say something on that. Um, yeah, not only, like, binging is, is disordered eating, but even something that you mightn't feel is a poor relationship with food, feeling guilty about certain foods, that's a poor relationship with food. Yeah. So if you, if you feel that, you have a poor relationship with food. Yeah. You shouldn't feel guilty for putting food in your face hole. <laughs> and if you do, something or someone in your past has told you that that is bad or that that food is bad or that food in that situation is bad. So that we're, we're trying to protect from that as well mm. to give you the understanding that once you know how to control your food, once you know how to plan your food, and once you understand what all food is, there is no bad food and we can remove the guilt from foods mm. so that you're not going into a dieting phase, removing certain food groups, certain foods out of it. We can put them in. If the calories are really low, by putting a diet break in, by giving you two days at maintenance, every week that could be the days where we put those foods in that you associate with being bad foods mm. i all i'll even go to the i've even been to the extreme of with a client before who did feel really guilty about foods about certain foods that she thought was was bad so what i did was kept her in a deficit all week for a one nutrition goal for the week was one, write me a list of all the foods that she deemed as bad. So I just said, sit down, pen and paper, write as many foods as you can think of that you think are bad foods. She was like, right, okay, went away and done it, come back. I was like, right, okay, see that list of foods there? I want you to put one of them in your diet every day this week. Stay within your calories, eat one of them every day. She faced the fear, felt really uncomfortable all week because she associates the foods with being bad. Yeah. Still progressed at the end of the week. Yeah. And then was like, all oh, right, okay. Well, they're not bad then. So they're not bad then? No. Just got to learn how to actually work them in. I think as well as protecting relationship with foods, it offers a nice, literally like just a psychological break from the torture that is calorie restriction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you've dieted for any serious period of time like more than like a, like an actual like long-term diet to a serious degree as well not just like yeah. fucking 2000 calories sort of shit like, if you've gone if you've lost like 40 50 60 pounds you'll understand that it is a it is a long and torturous process and having that little break away from it psychologically is remember when we done the refeed and you give me jam bagels Mm-hmm. Remember how happy I was eating those jam bagels. Person in the world. That's another thing that you know, we've spoken about this before, but the appreciation of food as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. That that if that if that wasn't there, I'd have gone insane. Yeah. I was ridiculously happy to be sitting down and eating jam bagels. I stopped my whole day. I turned yeah. the tally off. I turned the music off. I shut my laptop down. And I just sat and looked at these two jam bagels and was like, 
I'm going to make sure I enjoy every single mouthful of this. And I was, I was so present. <laughs> <laughs> Going into a meditative state. <laughs> it's fucked up, this bodybuilding shit, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what I love about our job is that we get to make it as, as unfucked up as possible. Yeah. Because it is, and when done badly, it will fuck you up. And that's why I think we've both come across people who are, Mm. whether they realise it or not, are are a bit fucked from doing things in a less than ideal way. Yeah. i done a post about it the other week. Looking a certain way, how you look and how you feel are not, like, they're not the same thing and they're not always tied together. Mm. So you might look at someone on Instagram, you might look at someone on social media and think, wow, they look amazing. If they've not approached that in the right way, they probably don't feel it. Mm. Even when I dieted down, I felt like shit that day before the um, before the photo shoot. Like, But that wasn't to make me feel better. That was yeah. to get in that condition for a photo shoot. But we don't, and that was, that was us approaching it in the right way. Mm. Like we well, put the last, the last few weeks were grim, like <laughs> the last few weeks were grim. But we didn't do anything stupid. Yeah. Calories weren't stupidly low, cardio wasn't ridiculously high. We weren't starving me. There were any cardio lad. <laughs> we're gonna have this argument <laughs> so like it wasn't a grim, grim, like stupid way of doing it. Yeah. And we still felt like Shite, sitting in the car after that last walk to get my steps in, knowing that tomorrow was the photo shoot. So if that's how I feel there, you can imagine how someone feels who's just dieted on the same six-day meal plan for 18 weeks with no diet break. Yeah, just the same. This is why meal plans... Some when when some people give meal plans and it's just like there's your meal plan off you go the twelve hundred calories just go and do it. It's like is the person's never going to succeed. There needs to be actual coaching involved, and especially when you're just eating the same fucking meals day after day after day. It's like we were speaking as well, weren't we? About it was on the other podcast episode about how buzzing you get when you're dieting with just like broccoli if you've got a bit of salt and pepper. Nail on the broccoli, it's like your fucking day has just been made. If you put something new in, something random that you haven't put in, yeah, like I am a little bit robotic in the like, I that's why I wanted someone else to coach me, that's why I got you to coach me so that I just took all of the thinking out of it. And yeah. we used meal plan for, for it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, like if I got bored of something, we just swapped it out and we put something else in, but then I might just swap the veg. Like I might have been using broccoli for like two weeks and then I swapped it for like carrots and I was like, oh, <laughs> carrots are so good. Carrots are so nice. <laughs> hey, side note, have you seen Dr. Mike Israel his Instagram recently? The chocolate spread? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Looks fit, doesn't it? Looks dead, is it? I couldn't under... I, I, obviously, he's got like an American accent, so he says words wrong. Um... <laughs> Is he saying casein, casein protein? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Take that out of a mortar. 
Yeah. That looks really nice considering it's just protein powder. I kept seeing his his post. So basically for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's some um some I think he's got a PhD in like muscle physiology or some shit. Yeah. Something to and yeah. Um sports yeah. performance and physiology, I think it is, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I've got no idea. But he um he keeps posting on his on his Instagram, the food that he's eating, he's dieting at the minute. It's a big bowl of carrots, some bread, and this brown paste in a bowl. And everyone's <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? It's casein protein with chocolate. And then he spreads it on his toast like Nutella and then just eats a bowl of carrots. And it's like, when you're dieting, you find the weirdest combinations of foods that you love. Yeah. I've told you about my iceberg lettuce and cottage cheese situation. <laughs> yeah. Like that was just unreal. Salt and uh, a bit of hot sauce, some garlic salt. It was fucking unreal. And I used to just never night. Remember we were in the gym filming all uh, exercise demos and we both had a chicken salad. <laughs> it was literally all mine was at that point was chicken breast and lettuce. Yeah. There was probably about five hundred grams of lettuce and about hundred and fifty grams of chicken. <laughs> and I just put salt and pepper and hot sauce on it. And I think that was the first meal of the day, potentially, or the second one. But we were, like, quite late in the day. Yeah. Because uh, I was fasting that day. Was I just put, like, no particular reason just to save calories. I just pushed the food back as far as I could in the day. Um, and it just, it was, the, it was that. That was as close to taste, that tasted nearly as nice as the jam bagels. Like, I was as happy eating that <laughs> as I was eating the jam bagels, like, two, three weeks later. Fucking boss. There's no way I'd come home now at the end of the day and bang just chicken and lettuce in a bowl and be made up of it. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. We're getting so off topic, yeah. So off topic. So let's we've, we've covered pretty much everything. So let's yeah. just let's let's bullet point what we've gone over. Yeah. Okay. So what's the diet What? What's a diet break? Where you have a break in your diet. No. Box <laughs> ticked. Why would you do a diet break? Because you're you've hit a plateau. You're not burning as many calories as you once were, and therefore you are gonna stop losing fat. So you put a diet break in proactively to prevent the loss of muscle mass, bone mass, organ mass, to prevent the the reduction in fidgeting, to prevent prevent the reduction in your Redu- prevent the reduction, prevent the reduction in your BMR, so that you can continue losing fat at a sustainable rate long term, as well as being able to train hard because you're giving yourself more food every now and then. So, like in that study, refeeding every every week will allow them to train harder, retain more muscle tissue, and obviously just continue to progress your physique much faster psychologically you're going to feel better you're going to be able to sustain it for longer without going insane you're going to maintain a better healthier relationship with food you're less at risk of damaging your relationship with food and it gives you more freedom in the foods that you can consume especially later on in a diet and phase like deeper into a calorie deficit Mm. So, basically, have a diet break. Yeah, do diet breaks. They're fucking sick. 
the boss. And it's not just it's not just like science saying it, and us just going, oh yeah, reading the science and talking about how good it is. Like it genuinely works. Like all the clients that I've implemented it with are progressing ridiculously fast. Yeah. But not always necessary, but when it is, implement it. I don't know. The research suggests that it should always be necessary. You could argue that you're always going to have a better physique. You you could argue that that every individual is different. So what if you have a person who, if you give a bit of leeway on the weekend, is just going to go and annihilate a Domino's and fuck themselves up? This is very true. Some people... The the art of coaching, you need to read read the individual. Yeah. This is where when we say don't restrict yourself from foods, there are probably foods that you will have to avoid. Certain individuals will have hyperpalatable foods. Mm. If you are obese, if you are overweight, you have struggle. You have, you have struggle. You have struggle. Wow. It's getting late, man. We're both (laughs) my words. (laughs) Oh, let's try that again. If you are obese, there are going to be foods that you can't control yourself around and they, may need to be removed from the picture entirely. Yeah. So you're in a better state physically. Yeah. And you've got a better understanding of food mm. mentally before yeah. they can be reintroduced. Yeah. Because if if it is gonna work, it's like like that that study that they've restricted someone by 35% of their cal- of their maintenance. Like that's fucking a lot. Yeah. Like a lot a lot of people might not be able to handle that. So it might just be better to just achieve a 10% deficit consistently. So yeah. you always got to fucking not just take information as gospel. Just because we've said it, you might not need it. But it might be fantastic for you. Try it. Might be the best thing you ever do. Might be the worst thing you ever do. Might change your fucking life. You might become a bodybuilder in two years because of listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So. If you do and you get sponsored... We want royalties. I want 10%, lad. <laughs> right, that's us. We've done another one. We've done another one. I don't think that was too long, that either. No, so, we just about bumbled through it at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're still here, as always, you know where to find us at coach.comada on Instagram, www.coachcomada.com. Where can they find you, Jack? Jack at Silverjacks and I'll tell you my website on the next one because Graphit are just finishing off my new website for me so I haven't got a web address for it yet. If you want us to cover anything else in future episodes, drop us a message on Instagram and we'll get to it. Thank you everyone for listening again. Speak to you soon.